नैतुपद्यते 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 क्लैब्यमस्मगम पाथ नैतुपद्यते क्लैब्यमस्मगमपाथ्यमस्मगमपाथ्यमुपद्यते क्षुद्रम हृदयदौर्बल्यम क्षुद्रम हृदयदौर्बल्यम क्षुद्रम हृदयदौर्बल्यम त्यापरप क्षुद्रम हृदयदौर्बल्यम त्यापरप हृदयदौर्बल्यम त्यापरप क्षुद्रम हृदयदौर्बल्यम त्यापरप the next one is uh, uh, there is a meter change in this okay and there is also a couple of uh, corrections uh, the first line because we are splitting it into two halves uh, maybe some of you may have it in your script like that or if you if you have the uh, fourth uh, word as gari yo because we are splitting it it has to be gari yaha and uh, similarly in the second line Jiji uh, visha ma. If you don't have a visarga after that, you have to add the visarga. Okay. Na chaita vidma kataranno gariya ha. Na chaita vidma. जयेमोजयेद 
ವಾಜಯೇಮಯದಿ ವಾಜಯೇಮಯದಿ ವಾಜಯೇಯು ನ ಚೈತದ್ವಿಮತರೀಯ ಯಜೇಮಯೋ ಪ್ರಮುಖೆ This is light change in song, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So maybe when we say the full line, I think it, it should be, it should come out correctly. ಧಾರ್ತರಾಷ್ಟ್ರಹ ಪ್ರಮುಖೆ ಧಾರ್ತರಾಷ್ಟ್ರ ಪ್ರಮುಖೆ ಧಾರ್ತರಾಷ್ಟ್ರ ಕಾರ್ಪಣ್ಯದೋಷೋಪಹಸ್ವಭಾ 
ಕಾರ್ಪಣ್ಯದೋಷೋ ಪಹತ ಸ್ವಭಾವ ಕಾರ್ಪಣ್ಯದೋಷೋಪಹತ ಸ್ವಭಾವ ಪೃಚ್ಛಾಮೂಢಚೇತಾಚೇತ ಕಾರ್ಪಣ್ಯದೋಷೋಪಹತ ಸ್ವಭಾವ ಪೃಚ್ಛಾಮಿ ಧರ್ಮಸೂಢಚೇತ್ಯದೋಷೋಪಹತ ಸ್ವಭಾವ ಪೃಚ್ಛಾಮಿ ಧರ್ಮಸೂಢಚೇತ ೇಯಸ್ಯಾಶ್ಚಿತ್ರೇಯಸ್ಯಾಶ್ಚಿತ ಶಿಷ್ಯಸ್ತೆ ಶಿಷ್ಯಸ್ತೆಹಂಶಾಧಿಮಾಂಶಾಧಿಮಾಂಪ್ರಪನ್ನಿತ್ರೇಯಸ್ಯಾಶ್ಚಿತ್ರ
Thank you, Preeti. All right. So um, we can switch to the next part of our uh, uh, group discussion. So I'm going to quickly summarize uh, what we uh, discussed last week, and then probably you know pick off. Uh, we can pick off from there. Uh, let me just open up my notes and. Uh, I want to make sure that you know I uh, I can find it. Maybe I'll have to go back in my into my memory and talk about it. Okay. So um, in the last uh, GDV, we're discussing about uh, Arjuna's uh, uh, conflict in his mind. And then we started talking about how he uh, comes comes in between the uh, Pandava army and the Kaurava army, looks at uh, looks at his grandsires, and then he he gets into a barrage of. Rajesh, your voice is going in and out. Okay, <clears throat> is this okay? Is this okay now? Yeah. So he gets into the uh, between Pandava and Kaurava army, and then he uh, he gets into a, you know. A, Sort of a, a a deluge of you know emotions that goes into his mind. We did not discuss the entire uh, deluge of his emotions, but at the end of the day, you know he 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 realizes that he does not realize as it, but he talks about a lot of uh, you know attachment and killing and and uh, what is going to happen to all all the families, all the men folk, all the women folk, and everything. We talked about that. Then uh, we also we also kind of you know digressed. Into uh, answering two important questions by one of one of the new seeker who joined us uh, in the last uh, GD, where he was asking, "Okay, what is what is my duty? You know, it's all fine. You know, reading the scriptures and all is fine, but what is my duty?" And then each one of us gave a perspective about uh, what duty is, and uh, I summarized that and I shared it because it was a very beautiful way that each one of us articulated what duty is and how these scriptures can be applied. In the in the sense that, and then the second question was, you know, um, what what was what was the duty? And the second question was, uh, practically, what do I do, right? What do I do, and uh, uh, how do I apply these? Those were the two questions what he had, and we answered those things to uh, to him. And today, um, uh, in in our GD today, I think we are going to complete the Arjuna's Vishada Yoga, where he goes further into the uh, deluge of emotions, and then finally. Submits himself to Krishna, saying that I don't know now what to do. I'm I'm confused now. Uh, tell me what to do. That's uh, that's the quick summary of what we've read so far. I know that there was there a lot of material that we did not cover in the last uh, last GD uh, because we had uh, uh, the presentation by uh, uh, by by Sundar, right? Uh, and Sridhar, sorry, by Sridhar. I apologize. By Sridhar, and then uh, we we can continue with the chapter one until the shlokas that we agreed today. Is that okay? All right. So anyone can pick the thread. While you do that, I'm going to just get to another place. All right, uh, 
I'll just kick start it. Um, I had a thought, which is that, uh, you know, uh, Krishna keeps quiet for the most part. He, he lets Arjuna vent and does not, uh, you know, does not stop him. Neither does he give him advice until, until asked for, right? So this was a key uh, uh, takeaway for me, I should say, when I uh, first read this. It's that um, don't give advice until somebody's ready and don't give advice until it's asked. So uh, that's un- something I've been trying to practice, I must say, um, in my own life. And uh, just wanted to point that out. I know it's a meta point here, but the, uh, you know, it's not the main part of the story, but that's a takeaway that I, um, I, I really thought must be pointed out. But I, I wonder what others think about this. Absolutely, Kishore. In fact, yeah. Uh, so, so do not do that. And instead of praising, which Arjun was expecting and thinking that, oh, I'm talking about such righteous things, Krishna will almost say that, yes, I agree with you. Let's go home. <laughs> he was expecting that from Krishna. Instead of that, uh, Krishna actually rebukes him. He uses very harsh words on him. So almost to jolt him, to provoke him. Um, to come out of the situation. So that was another takeaway that, you know, if somebody is uh, really in a despondent situation, sometimes agreeing with them can take them spirally down further. So rather than that, if you can jolt them um, to, to bring them out of that spiraling down circle, I think that's what uh, Krishna probably did there. Yeah. Um... Go ahead, Manu. No, I was just saying, is it uh, because of the relationship between Krishna and Arjun that, you know, that they were able to have that kind of conversation? Otherwise, like if, uh, you know, the person is not that close to you, would you be able to respond in the same way? I'm not sure. Actually, if you are not very close, then also you can do it. And in this particular case, they were very close friends. But if mm. you're in the middle way, then it's harder to do. You're not right. yet there and not even ready as a third party also. You know? That's right. So yes, That's you, right. I agree that you can't do it if, you know, unless the relationship is either really close or not, almost nothing there. Right. Not even, not even, yes, let's go home, but not even a yes, but actually, you know, because sometimes, you know, we normally yeah. say, yeah, I agree with you, but, you know, <laughs> he doesn't even do that. And I no, think as the, as the the person who is venting, that person really needs like validation of the venting, right? So I, I can <laughs> say from like a personal experience, when I'm venting, I want the other person to say, yeah, yeah, I understand, you know, it's okay. <laughs> so, so it's also important to not expect that kind of response always. Like you can vent, but not expect <laughs> that kind of uh, validating response. Yeah, especially in this case where um, uh, Krishna is very clear that uh, the subject of the venting is is not something that he agrees with and he wants to get him out of it, right? So I think that would be the key difference here, I guess. Maybe when you if you're venting, if we are venting and it has some um, uh, you know truth to it, then maybe then we'll go down the path of yes, but but 
this case, it's very clear what he, he uh, what he wants to do. And Krishna doesn't get involved in it either, right? He, he's staying, uh, yeah, he doesn't get involved in the emotions uh, that Arjuna is expressing and he, he's somehow able to uh, stay separate from that, so. I see this is a slightly subtle point, right? One, uh, one is venting, the other is rationalizing your thoughts. I think we constantly are justifying why we're feeling this way and that is, uh, that that's justified for whatever reasons, unless and until we stop rationalizing our thoughts and maybe even look for an alternate viewpoint, even if it's out there, we can't see, we may, we may just not be able to feel it. So that justifying, rationalizing, asserting our own thought process, maybe makes us blinded to any alternate viewpoint that's coming through. In, in the book, um, Swami Chinmananda also says that um, Krishna stays quiet as long as um, Arjuna is trying to rationalize his you know, point of view. And only when he completely gives up and goes completely emotional, that's when he speaks up. It's, it, it's a, he, he explains that, um, so when your intellect is actually you know, you're using your intellect and you're trying to rationalize what you're doing. At that time, God is not stepping in. He's going to let you use your intellect to try and figure things out. But when, uh, so when you start, use, when you identify with the mind, that's when then God is there to help you to, to figure things out. Sitra. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I think uh, what I uh, really identified with was, um, you know, uh, as uh, we, we're always coming across situations in our life where we are always trying to see what's the right thing to do. And we're always trying to rationalize, you know, use our mind to uh, uh, pros and cons. And, you know, am I doing the right thing with whatever knowledge we have? And I, I think it's, uh, it's very important here, I felt was, Arjuna really, he kept trying to, you know, justify, justify, and he had to really uh, finally say, you know what, my brain is incapable of understanding this. Only when he had come to that state, and only when he said, oh, Lord, help me. I, and I think a lot of times we do that, is we keep trying to think, oh, you know, I, I, can, I can do this, you know, I'm capable of handling this, and, you know, and it just keeps going, you know, you keep going in circles and circles and circles. And then, of course, you know, you ask your friends, you know, everyone says, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, you're in the right direction. And you, because obviously, you know, we're all in the same boat, right? And then it comes to a point where you're saying, you know what? I'm just banging my head, going in circles. And I'm just exhausted mentally. And I think only at that point does... Um, uh, does Krishna answer or in our case, you know, the Supreme kind of comes in and, you know, so I think we have to go to that, uh, uh, that point where we actually do a surrender, not a surrender with our mouth or our words, but that surrender because we've come to that, that grief, that real um, point where there is, I, I don't know what else to do. I think only then, and that's what I felt was what was happening with Arjuna and why Krishna didn't uh, inter intervene until Arjuna said, please help me out here. I, I don't know what I'm saying. But, I'm blabbering now. But surrender is not give up, right? No, no, surrender is not give up. 
surrender is telling him tell me what to do show me the path i think that that's what we also tend to do when we are in very difficult situations and i think that's when we get our way out is when we uh, ask for help and i think some a um, lot of people said right unless you ask for help you don't get it uh, i think uh, but you don't ask for help until you are at that deep pit where you don't feel you have any other way out till then i think we forget and we feel oh, i can i can handle this at least that's what i i took away from this i see alpana and vivek on raised hands everything but is he surprised at at uh, Arjuna's uh, reaction or or despair, if you will. The commentary says yes, he is surprised <laughs> because he has that mocking smile when he starts speaking. So that's why that's one interpretation that they're saying that Krishna was actually a bit surprised that Arjuna is reacting in this way. Mm, okay. yeah i i feel the same way too because i think he 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 kind of uh, condemns what he arjuna is doing and then says in a mocking way i don't i don't know whether i can see the smile like how alpana can visualize that but um you know kutastwa you know he he just asked like why are you doing this like so krishna was actually surprised and then he commands that uh, uttishtha you know he he says rise up so um, i think those are very powerful words i don't know how to describe but that's how i feel i mean mocking mocking way could also be that he's uh, you know he he knows it's a foregone conclusion he knows where it's headed but he's just saying like listen you know don't take it too seriously just get on and do your duty so that's why he's surprised and saying just get on <laughs> why are you thinking so much about it so okay so to, i wanted to make two points from swami savapriyananda ji's lectures about uh, arjun's situation one is where what is the root of the word arjun it comes from dhatu riju riju means uh, saralta or simplicity or straightforwardness the word arjavam also comes from the same one in the qualities that we had done and the reason he explains this is that uh, arjun when he was in that situation he's actually able to express how he's feeling very in a in a detailed way because his mind emotions and actions are aligned he was able to express it and then he goes on to say there's a difference so if you look at uh, the gita so far first shloka was said by dhritarash and then there were um, and then uh, duryodhan tells nine shlokas saying uh, or telling about the strength of his army so there he says that when in the moment of weakness this mind tends to play a trick 
and it tries to disguise our weakness under in these two particular cases duryodhan is hiding below the strength and arjun is hiding below righteousness there may be other emotions but these are the two ones that are displayed here so after duryodhan tells us in this uh, nine shlokas and also he is not expressing his feelings elaborately that he is actually scared etc etc he doesn't even even mention them and then in case of arjun he actually explains all this and then he is trying to hide behind that righteousness to hide his moment of weakness so so i think i thought that was a great uh, uh, you know description of you know how these two acted so differently in the beginning before the geeta actually starts so both so are hiding on go ahead chitra uh no i said both are hiding that means they are both hiding under something or the other and uh, arjuna just seems to have a better vocabulary to express express himself or he's more uh, in connect with what he's feeling whereas he's is th th his thoughts actions and words are aligned yeah so he's able to express very clearly yeah. whereas duryodhana doesn't express it vidya i forgot what i was going to say okay manu yeah i was actually you know uh, just going to comment on the, the point that vivek had raised um because i also feel like uh, perhaps krishna wanted this you know this uh, reaction from arjun to come out maybe he thought that it's it's there deep seated somewhere and it needs to you know come out at some point so that he can go through those emotions and then you know they could have a discussion about it that's how i was thinking yeah yeah, yeah. i felt the same too sakuba yeah so i just wanted to bring in a small nuance that uh, swami p parmatmananda you know he brings in on the shloka first shloka Uh, in the first shloka there is a reference to a, a word called kripa right i mean tam tata kripa vistam so he says that kripa normally will refer to compassion uh, but in this case you know i think it refers to attachment you know because compassion is associated with the gyani but you know arjun being uh, you know ignorant at that point of time it actually refers to attachment and not uh, really compassion or pity actually if i can just point on that one compassion even on that one uh, i think i heard in one of the lectures that um, arjun's compassion was misplaced or displaced um, and he gives a very good example he says if you take an example of a doctor while he is doing an operation of an appendix if he starts compassion having the compassion compassion towards the appendix oh my god this poor little organ has been with you right from the childhood and you know how can i cut it it'll die so it's a misplaced compassion right so compassion not if it's not in the right place it can lead to to issues Yeah. Can I? Can I? Uh, just uh, it, it just occurred to me uh, when uh, Alpana was talking about Duryodhan, right? 
Um, can we uh, take this as a metaphor of Duryodhan representing fear and insecurity? And we often don't say that I'm, I'm fearful, right? More often than not, we don't say that, but it manifests itself in other ways. And uh, uh, so what Duryodhan says is coming out of that insecurity and fear. And what uh, Arjun says, obviously, is coming out of um, a deluded mind, right? And, uh, and, and the intellect is, I mean, Krishna represents the intellect in this case, right? I, actually, even being the charioter, um, even in the Katopanishad, the uh, horse um, cut uh, analogy, or uh, even there, Krishna is the intellect. So that is staying behind, right? Behind both of this. Um, so maybe we can also think of it that way, um, where Duryodhan is the, uh, you know, represents the fear and anxiety. Vidya, you, your hand is still raised. You have anything or should um, I just... Just you can take it out. Sorry, I, I don't know how to... I, I, I took care of it. Bring Bukuk, it down. It's your turn now. Sure. I think on the question on whether Krishna was surprised, at least the, felt, the feeling I got when I read was... Um, I mean, the whole thing was orchestrated to expose... By Krishna to expose uh, the blind spot for Arjuna, right? Now let's kind of visualize if this did not happen, right? Let's say that this scene did not happen and Arjuna was not exposed to that uh, hidden blind spot that he had. And let's say they went into the war, right? At some point, you know, it, it, when he was trying to kill Bhishma or any of them, he would have stopped and got killed in the process, right? So this is a really a crucial blind spot that Krishna knew Arjuna had. And uh, he wanted that to come out and address it before the war starts. This is extremely strategic. See, if this did not have happened, the results of Mahabharata would have been completely different. I don't think Arjuna would have won this war at all. But somewhere in the war, it will come up. It's too late, right? When you're taking the bow, it comes up. It's too late. So I believe the, the smile is the smirk on the Krishna's face is uh, he knew this blind spot was there and he was just enjoying itself getting played out, right? Like, a, like an avatar. Uh, he was just he was just enjoying it getting played out. Ah, aage bacha, like you know, like aage, 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 like that. That was his really uh, smile there. I'm just waiting for this to come. That's how I at least have, I read the whole thing. So, perspective. Yep, that was nice, uh, Ranjani. Yeah, one thought I had is you know uh, one thing is uh, like Chitra said when we are in a desperate situation we ask uh, the Lord you know we surrender and ask for help. But one other thing uh, is you know we often what I got of is with we often try to run away from our problems and that's why we start justifying saying that maybe we should do this and that and I think it's very important one thing I got from is to face it head on and ask for help you know instead of trying to run away from everything we get and try to justify it I think that's one thing that I personally got out of this well said so the key word that you use there is and face it head on and ask for help Thank you. That was very, very nicely said, actually. Yeah. So just pivoting the conversation to another part of it, you know, uh, uh, Arjuna also has a lot of uh, arguments in terms of, you know, how the men folk would be killed in the war and then the, the women folk will be corrupted and then uh, the family structure will go away and all that. You know, what, what, did you, what did you guys make of that particular part of the, uh, the deluge, verbal deluge, what Arjuna had? You know, does caste system really matter? Does it intermingling of caste really, is it bad according to like what Arjuna says? And does it mean that the culture will go away? If so, what happens? So what? Why not?
I think it did happen. So whatever he said was not wrong. <laughs> it all of that happened. But uh, very interestingly, I read somewhere. You know, the purpose of uh, Kurukshetra or the the wider purpose was to actually free Earth of. You know, these all these warriors were becoming very very powerful. So the purpose of Kurukshetra war was to free Earth of. any possibly sinful and aggressive warriors that's the statement made actually in one of the commentaries that if they were led to live you know it would have been a very very difficult situation to manage on earth so so that so that was the purpose but that didn't make what arjun felt wrong what he did feel was right it did happen so i do agree with what his his you know justifications were they were strong enough but he was making at the wrong time before they agreed about the war he could have made that those statements right then maybe it could have been different not when you are in the middle of you know the couches have been blown and then you make that statement yeah yeah so the war was becoming stronger i agree but i think rajesh's point about the caste system and women getting affected that was actually for me the first time i'm reading a narrative like that was that kind of an extension of this event happening you know all the warriors fighting and then most of them getting uh, cleared or wiped out from earth is that is it really saying the following events the subsequent events that will come up or is more of an uh, speculation or you know it's more of just expanding your thought i think there was a lot of detail that he goes into um for i i was quite sure whether that was uh you know that that's how it was meant to be or is it interpretation of smart swami ji when he was writing it out because there is quite a bit of detail about uh how the whole structure will be destroyed how all the intermingling will happen and then the further there is going to be a devastating effect, effect and so on and so forth um so I I was a little. I was the first time I was reading, and I wasn't sure. I got a question mark. Would this have been the intent of what, uh, what what was to be said in Gita? Actually, right, it's a very controversial thing. We have to read it too in detail a little bit. Hmm. Sorry, Alpan, go ahead. No, no, no. I was saying that actually in that one, it is not the interpretation. It is what the shloka says almost. Yeah. So it's not, it's not an interpretation. Vivek, it it just occurred to me that actually I participated in a roundtable not too long back where one gentleman proposed that there are two different leadership leadership styles proposed by Lord Krishna and Lord Rama, given the situation. So Lord Krishna decides to be a charioteer, takes a back seat. He's a guide in Mahabharata because actually the trajectory. uh you know they're capable armies that are that are lined up against each other uh so he he takes more of a back seat and he's a guiding hand in this uh lord uh, in in ramayana lord rama takes a front front row action seat because there's actually all the ingredients are moving around quite a lot it's not you know the 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 problem and the objective is not very well focused so he's he's more of an executive leader as opposed to a non executive leader in the case of lord krishna so that's um, it was you know the leadership styles that 
people should take on depending on the situation. In, in that context, this was laid out. I don't know whether there are any, any thoughts on that aspect. Uh, is, is Lord Krishna more hands-off compared to Lord Ram and, and, and Ramayana? Oh, lovely call out, Vic. I think, yeah, that, that's definitely there are both styles out there and comparing it to a leadership style that can be interpreted, a situational leadership. I think, uh, yeah, at least that, that's not how I viewed it. Good call out. I just have a question which one of you could answer. So Mahabharata was written after the war, right? Or was it? Yes, okay. So then could the, could the person who was writing it write about this caste system as it was playing out? And he kind of put it into the, uh, you know, into the verbiage of uh, Arjuna, because that's what was happening after Mahabharata. It's a question. I don't have an answer. I'm just asking if someone knows. I, I actually I don't know whether Mahabharata is written, uh, or at least the Gita was written after the Mahabharata war was over. I thought Vyasa was a character in between. He was, you know, coming in and out right from fathering, fathering the great great grandfathers of uh, of um, Pandavas uh, to everybody. You know, he was coming in and out of the entire Mahabharata. So I don't I don't know if it if it written after afterwards. It's not a post facto in my view. Probably it was. I don't know. It is an itihas, right? So he did write it. So it's not the same Vyasa, but it's the title that some other Vyasa took and then wrote it. That's how I see it. So it is a history, but but he could see it and see it in the sense he could visualize it or or he knew what happened. So he's writing from memory. That's what I was saying on the other day also. He, he actually wrote it from memory. So it's not that uh, but he wrote it afterwards is what I feel. I also had a point uh, on uh, Vivek's, uh, this one. Yes, great point Vivek on uh, the Rama's strategy and uh, Krishna's strategy. Also what we have to note is in Ramayan, uh, you had to kill Ravan who had so many boons. He couldn't be killed by a you know, normal human being, except not actually the whole army should be of the monkeys, etc., right? or not of humans. So there was a lot of different things. Whereas Mahabharat was fought almost between, you know, similar set of strengths. And what made the difference was because Krishna was on one side, probably. So, so Krishna didn't need to really um, fight because he did kill a lot of demons and he killed Kansa. So it's not that he never killed in his lifetime. He did kill Kranasur, Shakatasur, Putna, and, and, and a lot of them. So, so that was my, those were my thoughts. But yeah, these are two different styles of leadership. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so on this whole Arjuna's, you know, when you started talking, uh, kind of, uh, I was, I remembered how some of us used to go to, for makeup letters in Bisht, Dr. Bisht and Bits, and if you remember that, right? So, Actually, when you go into the bish, sometimes you need to go and physically to get the letter, right? So you really fall sick and you act, even though at one level, you know, you're just making it up, right? Because you don't want to take the test. Um, so if you really look at the mindset there, right? When you know you're not sick and uh, authentically at the core level and trying to get a makeup letter, right? You go, you tend to act more, you, you try to exaggerate things a little bit. 
and i think that's exactly was arjuna's problem there right because at the core being he knew that he he has to fight this but something else that there's, there's some other i didn't there's something else that which he didn't quite understand so he was this exaggerating trying to strengthen the kind of the, the weaker side of the story right uh, logically trying to convince krishna uh, that's exactly how he was trying to build on and on that's how i felt at least when i uh, uh, read through that uh, part of arjuna's it's little exaggerated but the reason is he's at the being level he knows it's what he's not asking is right uh, so he's just over over cautious and you know uh, pushing the other side that's how i felt so just to double uh, do we do we do that uh, in our lives as well absolutely every lot of times i i just want to get a validation i think yes we do i just want to get a validation <laughs> about 90% of the time in at least i would say in my life so <laughs> I think the other comment uh, was on, uh, I think Alpana said, uh, it's written later, but I believe they, when uh, uh, when they write it, it's not like the way we remember and write. They look at from the Akashic records, they call it, right? Because they have the third eye awakened. So they can actually go see the event like we watch in a TV Ramayana, but they can see the event as it is happening right now. Even now, right now, if the saints or some other rishis who live can do that. Uh, so it's not really uh, later or i don't think there's any room for errors in that no. uh, whatever is written by vyasa is exactly that's so it's not even see because somebody who's visually watching tv cannot understand the emotional dimension of uh, of karna right if you really look at geeta the emotional aspects also narrated because it's from that deeper uh, intuitive vision uh, third eye vision is how it's all written and it's all recorded somewhere as it happened and then they just are go to the archives and and visualize it and write it so i believe at least personally i don't think there's any room for errors or interpretations in these writings uh, that's how that's how i feel so that's nice well said yeah, absolutely agree that's why i was hesitating in saying that he could see he could see but you can't say that he saw from these eyes but yeah there was some other way yeah the jnana drishti so that's what he yeah sakuba uh, that was just a rejoinder to uh, vivek's comment you know so uh, uh, there is a there is a there is a picture called uh, you know uh, velukudi krishnan which i referred in my earlier talk to so he has a series of lectures uh, called you know geeta in daily life and three lectures there uh, are titled as you know <laughs> follow rama listen to krishna so it's an english so <laughs> you can actually so he says why you should follow rama and but you should listen to krishna actually <laughs> so nice ones yeah one more point i had was around you know why is it called vishad yog i think we did briefly touch upon it when we were doing chapter 1 but yog is uh, the yoga can be used when you know you're other either you're taking steps to become uh, one with god or you're trying to get closer to god when i say is either the reality or that supreme power or you realize that one is god so why in this case of uh, unhappiness and such grief we name it as yoga the reason was because even during happiness if as you know chitra was saying when you're really at the bottom low then you seek help and you seek that guidance from the lord to show you the path and hence it is known as the vishad yoga because he used this unhappiness or this moment to seek you know uh, guidance from krishna 
Yeah, that's yeah. So I have a follow-up question uh, on that. I, um, and thanks for bringing it up. I wanted to bring it up last week as well. So does, uh, um, does it mean that everyone has to go through something like that to actually seek uh, uh, this path, right? So um, some kind of a law, some kind of a uh, law where we start to uh, seek these quest answers to questions. So I just want to point that out to see if, uh, um, uh, yeah, um, is, do people seek this path out of just curiosity? just for knowledge, just because I want an, uh, you know, intellectual um, understanding of this versus something where I, I really seek it because I, I know I hit a low at that point and I want to, uh, many more questions came up to which I don't have answers. What I have read is it can be either an extreme low or it, got, it can be an extreme high as well, because then you don't know what next what's next okay yeah then also people get into this so what else is left what is purpose of life when you know i have achieved what i wanted to there's nothing else to do then also right Sikandar, alexander is an example he achieved so much and yet because even then you feel that oh i still am not fulfilled fulfilled yeah i'm still not happy after yeah. achieving all this I feel, yeah. yeah it has to be one of the two correct but uh, could it also be like across lifetimes that you know you had that really low yeah. point in a prior so lifetime? Absolutely. A corollary, a corollary to that is then um, that when we know we are hitting that low, um, we could actually absorb it as in uh, start to accept it because we know that that's actually going to give us something really, really precious at that point, right? Because it, it, that could be the turning point for turning inward in many ways. So at that point, we will not realize that, but then I mean, looking back and we, we can connect the dots. There, there were many low points before, even for the Pandavas, right? Even in that uh, game of dice, the gambling, he was losing everything. At that time, he prayed that Krishna should not be there. In fact, Krishna was outside. And he could, Krishna could not help. So it's not only at that point, there were many low points before as well, where he, they did not pray for Krishna to, for an alternate ending. Yeah, just a thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that kind of comes to the point of surrender, right? I mean, when we are actually seeking versus uh, still in the process of the mind uh, being completely in control then, and, and, um, being driven by um, the mind at that point, the emotions. Yes. I, I read it in some place that if uh, Yudhishthira had prayed to Krishna to play the dice instead of Shakuni doing it, you know, the uh, outcome would be very obvious that Krishna would have won. <laughs> Rather than that the whole Mahabharata would have been avoided, but he didn't. So um, just kind of you know, moving the conversation to another part of uh, an, an important part, which I thought was important for us to discuss and understand was something what I think uh, you talked about it, right? Which I'm, I'm going to share it in my own words slightly differently. So um, the way that Arjuna saw the situation and the way that Bhishma and Drona saw the same situation was different. 
right? Because Arjuna saw it from the, I am going to kill these people. And if these people die, what will happen to me? You know, I will not enjoy my life. There is nothing to be enjoyed, enjoyed about life. And, uh, um, you know, everything will is a waste. And, and I don't need the kingdom because these, these great people are no longer with me. So it is always about me, me, me for him in Arjuna's explanation of the situation. Whereas Bhishma and Drona said, yeah, this has to be done. I have to do it. I am going to do it. That's it. And to, you know, I think Muku, you mentioned it, right? So if Arjuna had not gone through those emotions, who would have killed? Who would have won the war? It's very clear, obvious. So the emotional problem that Arjuna was, the barrage of emotions that was coming out by Arjuna was actually a misplaced emphasis on what is important for him. It was not Dharma what is important for him. It was his own well-being or safety or his attachment to his concerns or to his people was more important to him than Dharma. Very well said, Rajesh. In fact, uh, uh, somewhere it's highlighted, yeah, you, you're saying about the emotions. It was, he was confused what role he's playing at that point in time. So he was not a grandson on the battlefield. He wasn't a, a, a student on the battlefield. He was a warrior. So the, the role he had to play there was of the warrior. Whereas Bhishma and Drona, they were very clear. They're not the teacher or grandfathers there. They are the, the warriors there. <laughs> So yes, absolutely, that misplaced, uh, uh, that confusion, of, you know, what you were saying about the delusion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think he goes on, he goes on and says somewhere, I, I don't remember, let me just read it. I think he goes on and he says that they drowned their individuality in the cost they were championing. I think that's the exact words what uh, Swami um, Chimyananda says in that book. And then he goes on further and he says, the more we identify ourselves with the little I in us, the more will be our problems and confusions in life. When we expand ourselves through our larger identifications, okay, uh, with an army, a cause, or a principle, or a nation, or an age, we shall find our moral confusions dwindling into almost nothingness. And I think the perfect example of that was, uh, in my view, Mahatma Gandhi. You know, at the end of the day, Mahatma Gandhi also had a big ego. The ego was not on him as an individual, but the ego was, I want freedom for my country. That's what uh, the example what Swami Guru Parananda keeps using in uh, when uh, he says that, you know, how can you expand to something beyond? And we do it in our day, daily life. For example, you know, we deny ourselves something and uh, get something for our children, for example, right? You know, that's that means suddenly the ego is expanded beyond our own self. And at the very family structure probably has been created for us to experience that expansion of ego beyond the you know mind body what we have and as we train ourselves in in that family situation perhaps it will expand a little bit more to the society perhaps a little bit more and then over a period of time you'll reach that where a state of no ego at all i don't know that's just uh, the way that i understand so so rajesh you know when i read the same lines that you quoted um, i had a different thought in fact and i wanted to ask the views of uh, this group um, yes, if I think from, uh, say, Mahatma Gandhi or, you know, uh, Drona or Bhishma, I think what you explained, uh, you know, that don't associate with a little eye, I mean, go beyond that and do it when you do it for a nation and so on, you know, the moral confusion goes down. Uh, I think, you know, it could also be the other extreme, right? I mean, uh, even, even somebody like Hitler would have justified by saying that, you know, what he did by associating with a, uh, not with a little eye, but with a 
the larger uh, uh, Empire, right? I mean, I, I thought I thought that that particular line uh, I, and the following line again is uh, uh, you know it, it it kind of clarifies that you know the, if you associate yourself with the overall pure consciousness, then it is fine. But the in between, like from a little eye to uh, something larger. Uh, you know uh, the something larger part. Uh, I'm not fully convinced. Actually, I mean, it could it could be. I, I can use the same argument to justify something, um, some extreme jihad and other things also, right? Yeah, I think that that is where most people make the may misinterpret it, right? At big time. In at the end of the day, you know, think about it. Think about you talk you talk of two individuals now, right? Let's say as examples, uh, Gandhi in one end and and Hitler in one end, and if you just go through like a uh, history book and read what happened as outcomes of these two actions, the point is very clear. You know, one person, uh, maybe he's justifying, maybe people externally, they're justifying for the right reasons, but uh, internally within themselves, maybe they did not have the right reasons. I think that the alignment of the thought, word and action never happened for uh, Hitler compared to Gandhi in my view. Krishna, I saw you raise your hand. And oh, before... uh, not not continuing with this point. I'll let this thread go and then I'll okay. jump in more to answer okay. your uh, dialogue earlier. So, I'll wait. Okay. Muku, anything on this point? Yeah, yeah, on this point. Yeah. So, basically, I think when you said expansion of the ego, uh, the way I, I kind of understand is I and mine, right? I think that was the, the point, right? So when you expand to anything mind also, that is also not healthy, right? Like in the case of Hitler or Mahatma, there's, there's still, an, still an implicit I uh, into the whole process. Uh, in fact, if you look at some of the deeper uh, readings, they, Shiva Sutra says that mind comes before I, because even the identity of I is built on Lego blocks of mind, right? Um, so both, I think, are cancerous. Uh, as, as I think as somebody pointed out, it's really the right identity that I'm the consciousness. Uh, that is really important. And that's where the guru comes and alters that needle, right? Otherwise, we can get stuck in I, we can stuck in any aspects of mind as we go through the journey, and we may still continuously justify it. But I think that's where a, a guru or, or a Gita or any of these can point to the right place where the identity needs to struggle. I think that's just the call out there. No, you well said, you know, Mahatma Gandhi read Gita, Hitler did not. <laughs> I, I just wanted to also add to that point. Uh, so I think, you know, uh, with Hitler uh, versus Mahatma Gandhi, right? With Hitler, I think we still see that it was his eye that was very important. Like he, it, uh, his own ego was right in the center of everything, right? They, all his people hail, you know, they all said hail Hitler and all that stuff, right? So it was, his own identity was very important to him. Whereas for Mahatma Gandhi, his own, I, like, he was doing all these things and he was, you know, his, his larger identity was, uh, was important to him. But his individual identity, it seemed like he didn't, you know, focus so much on himself. He didn't, live a you know very uh, um, uh, lavish you know lifestyle or anything like that right so I think there's a there's a distinct difference between the two I think for for Hitler like somebody said it was a misplaced sort of uh, you know 
expand he was expanding his identity to work for him for his individual self versus not mahatma gandhi i think mahatma gandhi was working for the larger um, you know his larger identity yeah the question uh, are we intention and shavala sorry one second krishna uh, are you are you on this on this point or uh, hold on uh, uh, no I'll, i'll hold on it's still okay. not Yeah, okay. Please. VP, you raised your hand, and maybe Shamila, you go next if you don't mind. Yeah. So I was uh, Rajesh. What you were saying earlier about Mahatma Gandhi, that he could not um, think about beyond the freedom of India. Uh, the way I think about that is that that was his sort of karm yoga. So internally, you know, I think he was trying to merge the small eye with the big eye, from whatever I have read. um so that's how i think about that his freedom struggle and freedom movement was all about um you know his karm yoga and by the way i used to be very negative on gandhi so in the last one year my perspective has changed quite a bit i have a lot more respect for him and especially after reading um you know manu gandhi's uh, diary i think that's a fascinating read if you want to um know more about mahatma gandhi from a perspective where somebody was very close to him and uh, observed it in close quarters so i just wanted to make that comment yeah okay shamal no quick question there you know that is an intent and identification are we using interchangeably or the same no they they different right because uh, uh, identification means like today for example um it's it's probably easier for us to identify ourselves with uh, uh quote and quote let's say uh, in a at a very strong sense with our families but can we identify ourselves with a larger society there is an intention to serve the larger society but do we end up doing it to the same extent that what we do to our family sure yeah. very well said rajesh Um, and i liked how mukund also said you know the higher consciousness that we have to look for uh, i i think that's what we need to strive for and that's very difficult on this topic kasha so a quick point like if you are playing that what if scenario i actually wonder if uh, gandhi strategy would have worked against hitler and germany i mean the british were still following certain rules of war and some kind of decency and civilization that 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 nonviolence and satyagraha movement worked i personally think like with with hitler's mode of i mean he is the guy who killed like 10 million plus people without a second thought so if if these people nonviolent people would have stood before hitler he would not have had second thought to have like shot them at the first thing like not not even have the discussions or anything which i um yeah i mean that it it also like seems like the same like in our itihas like certain strategies worked in ramayana certain strategies work in mahabharata certain places the god has to fight as a human and another place you have to bring up some miracles to kind of change the course of things and i think like that was again a very uh, fortuitous thing that it was britain who was ruling india and that strategy sort of worked otherwise it might not have might not have panned out the same way just just a thought 
but but anyway going back to the the previous point about like what rajesh was uh, mentioning about arjuna identifying as me i thought that was very uh, interesting like all along like in the first chapter he keeps uh, making lot of conclusions that this is what is happening uh, this is what will happen all the things will go wrong and bad and so on uh, but after all that is done uh, when krishna starts he only still is identified as a friend and he starts off only saying like you are a warrior why are you suddenly becoming like behaving like a coward just get up and fight and at this that point of time that he shows that oh maybe i do not know something and actually he uses the word in the last uh, chant that we did he says dharma sammoda chetaha so he says i don't know what my dharma is that is the point finally he breaks down and says uh, so lo- so long he was wrong but he didn't know he was wrong he was just making lot of conclusions but at that point he recognizes maybe i do not know what is good for me like maybe should i kill them or should they kill me like i do not know so you you tell me so at that point finally he realizes breaks down and then says i don't know what my dharma is no why don't you tell me what is good for me and then then surrenders so i thought like it took him all the way like for a really long time to go make lot of wrong conclusions and then somehow some spark comes in him and then says oh maybe i'm just like making wrong conclusions but at this point now at least i know that i do not know and like swami sarvapriyananda ji also mentions all this like lot of the times it's not what we don't know that gets us into trouble but what we don't know that we do not know that gets us into trouble so it's the same thing like he's ignorant but he did not know but at least at this point he finally realizes uh yeah i do not know please you tell me so that that i thought was like a very nice touch like all this point uh like what rajesh mentioned like all this point he just keeps making conclusions but that the seventh shloka he says i don't know what my dharma is it's very interesting he uses that word i don't know what my dharma is you tell me so yeah that's it there well said uh, krishna lakshmi you are on mute yourself so uh it's interesting listening to all this conversation um what i was thinking is the current situation i don't know if anyone listened to harry and megan markle interview with opera okay um please mid- please bring us up to speed what's <laughs> happening with the royals yeah it, um i listened to what michelle obama had to say about it right she said when such things she basically megan markle bought what happened in the monarchy um how it affected her uh to the forefront um so michelle said yes um when you are in a social service when you're at that level you have to see the big picture right so yes race is an issue black lives matter um and at that point she actually conveyed the message to megan's family as well as the royals in a way it's very subtle i felt she said to megan or harry well um it's not just about you it's also about uh beyond you right 
Um, and, and in a way she agreed that, well, you, there is someone, there has to be someone who has to bring that issue to the forefront. And Megan here in a way acted like Rama. So if no one leads, right? Someone has to take that position and lead. I think that's what happened in Ramayana. Was there anyone else who could lead? I don't know, but I'm just questioning. That's a question. Um, so there could be two uh, leadership roles, right? So one is, as um, Vivek said, Rama, and the other one, Krishna, who would guide. Um, and to the monarchs, what she said is, Michelle, um, you have to see beyond, right? You are a commonwealth. Well, how can you, uh, being a common, commonwealth, lead the other commonwealths if you are not um, accepting the races, other races, right? So, of course, in this time period, in this world now, races, casteism, or anything doesn't matter anymore. Everyone is equal. So you have to look beyond. And here she's giving a subtle message to the queen. You have to lead here. It's like she, she, need, she needs to be the Krishna here. So that, that's what I felt in this case. And uh, take a look, I mean, listen if you can, but uh, th th that's how I was trying to um, tell you the current situation and the current example. And uh, it's a very subtle message that she conveyed. Please post the link. I have not, uh, I've not followed what's happening with the Royals. So please do post yeah. it. And Lakshmi, very, very well said. I, I think Michelle Obama there is just uh, bringing out the best in others as she does um, always. And uh, it's interesting to, you know, I was reading Gita, you know, um, I think it was page 65 and in Swami Chinyananda's book. And there, and Alpana has many times told us this, but, <laughs> you know, reading it again and again, um, goes into uh, how the mind is receiving all the information and then intellect decides what to do. And I was just relating to what you said about Michelle Obama and um, uh, trying to understand how exactly our mind is, uh, you know, receiving all these things, but sometimes is not able to process that and bring that intellect to get the right decision done. Um, it, it's a continuous process, but in terms of monarchy and looking at how um, all lives matter in the sense black and uh, brown and any color, uh, basically lives matter, um, not to the extent of taking that when they say lives matter, only white lives matter. Um, we are so much into this US, right? Um, it's, it's interesting to um, go beyond and look at how to you know, who will be the leader to actually uh, come up and say what is just and what is not just. Uh, very well said. I think we need to ponder also, more on, go ahead. And, and also I feel, I mean, we are talking about Mahatma Gandhi, Hitler in back, 
in, in those days, right? And we have those people now also, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, I personally, I have no, <laughs> I have no uh, this to judge or anyone, but we have um, our previous president and, and also uh, the Russian president, right, who act the same. And then we have these great examples who look beyond, um, like um, Mother Teresa or Mother uh, or Obama or, or whoever, Michelle or anyone, um, or Biden now. So um, I don't want to bring these people in <laughs> to start an argument, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I also wanted to add one more thing. Um, while I was reading that and, and thinking about you and I was talking to my daughter, she was reading another book, um, very powerful book and which is very similar to what we are reading in Gita is uh, one of the black, um, I forget her name, I think Zora, uh, the, the author is Zora some, somebody. Yeah, Their yeah. eyes are watching uh, the God, uh, something like that is a I always forget the name of the title of the books and authors, but it's very interesting how uh, I made my daughter read that page 61 of uh, Swami Chinyananda. And she said, mom, this looks so much so what in 1937, this black lady had written a book about her quest of going very close to the God. Um, it, it, it was very interesting read. Maybe Rajesh, you are a voracious reader and others, they can read. No, no, book. no. That's not Rajesh, that's Krishna. Oh, that's <laughs> Krishna, yes. <laughs> You're getting the wrong person. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes, Krishna, you can read that book and you know, come back and give us a synopsis. Please post that link. We'll see that. Uh, yeah. We'll also check it out. So I see two hands raised here. Uh, I know if, if it is not related to the political discussion, we will talk. Otherwise, we will probably you know, uh, pass that thing. Okay, Alpana. Sorry for bringing that. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. You know, I, I just want to time out it and because we got larger things to discuss, right? So uh, I just wanted to highlight one more point from this chap beginning of the second chapter where Sanjay uh, chips in again. And it's interesting. He's telling this 10 days after the war has started to Dhritarash. And he's telling the details of what Arjun is saying, because that will happen. And he's telling to Dhritarash because only Dhritarash is in a position to stop the war. So he's still trying to give all these details that, you know, Kulnash ho jayega, dushit ho jayengi, He's still telling them that you can stop the war. Please do it now. Even now, you know, there are a lot of people still alive. Please do it. So I thought that was a that was another important point. In why Sanjay is telling all the you know Arjun situation to Dhritarash. Yeah. You mentioned ten days Alta? Ten days after this is like at the beginning of the war, isn't it? No, no. So, so when Bhishma falls, that is when Sanjay, that is when Dhritarash asks, because he is now shaky, what is happening? So he then asks Sanjay. Okay, come later, you mean. So after ten days. Okay. In the evening, when the tenth so, day. Alpna, of I have a question there. Yeah. Yeah, I just. Uh, how do you come to that conclusion that uh, Sanjay is trying to signal to Dhatrash that all this will happen through what Arjun is saying in his uh, comments to Krishna? No, no. So it had happened, but 
he's not telling about who the rest of the world is thinking about right because this is relevant to dhritarash that you can still make a decision so he's that's why he's highlighting those points which can still change dhritarash mind about the war and stop it now yeah. after 10 days right so and i'm saying where is the but it is one of the it is in, in different interpretations that why sanjay is giving these details to dhritarash oh it's somebody's interpretation okay yeah yeah because there is no there is no direct uh, no uh, point or mention of that that you know he's trying to influence dhritarash by fo focusing on this or focusing on arjun's situation in the battlefield correct okay thanks okay so um, i think uh, uh, it's uh, almost 721 so i just want kind of read one paragraph uh, uh, from from the last few lines of what what we are there because i think it's it kind of you know, summarizes the the arjuna vishada yoga where uh, swami ji writes saying that thus standing between the two forces the good and the bad arrayed for a battle to death arjuna the jiva surrenders completely to the lord the subtler discriminative intellect his charioteer who holds the five horses the five senses yoked to his chariot the body under perfect control when the stunned and confused ego arjuna totally surrenders to krishna the lord with a smile reassures the jiva of its final victory and declares the entire message of spiritual redemption the gita in this sense we analyze the picture as painted in sanjaya's words while borrowing our sanction from upanishads so i i love this section because uh, you know he uh, swami ji clearly uh, describes you know the human structure how we are built up right as to where we uh, where we where we focus on and where we get confused how we get confused because he says there is a and uh, going, going back to the introduction chapter where he writes how we perceive the inputs and how we do the output and what happens in the process i think that's a picture that you know uh, we will have to remember because this is the key key aspect of transformation of our own selves to manage the situations in our uh, in our life and i i really loved it and it comes in kadopanishad it's called ratakalpana also by the way in case uh, anyone of you is interested to read that so the body is compared to a chariot driven by five horses and then you know the ego is driving the chariot with the help of a charioteer who is the who was a who is our in, intellect connected to the horses through the reins which is our emotions i just wanted to mention rajesh here i think there is one if you remember pilani saraswati mandir there was one <clears throat> place where this was all depicted and it was very interesting you go around and you come back and there will be a, um, one of the murtis one of the several places where it will be depicted this and it was very interesting now i'm just recollecting that and seeing <laughs> how there were so many things in that temple that would be you know depict this yeah i also recall a lot of scientists on the top and all that right okay. there was a secret tijori also there vidya by the way bidlas <laughs> <laughs> as the hearsay goes yeah <laughs> yes we all heard about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, no, now you're telling us huh No, but nobody could ever reach it. It was reach it. I could see that door, and we were always shown that door. Mahatijori. 
there's one not so secret one right behind you vivek right now <laughs> but uh, you, you know actually so that i'm in my father's office that's yeah, that's that's 65 years old yeah godrej rasmi is your hand yeah so i had one question when i was reading uh, i don't remember which one probably the number 9 on um, the shloka um arjuna is called many things like you know sometimes kaunteya uh, pritha and all that but here he's called like gudakesha which means the conqueror of sleep which kind of uh, threw me off a little bit why is he referred to as that is it because of uh, you know darkness or ignorance that he's trying to conquer or is it something there's a back story behind it that uh, somebody knows yeah, so i i kind of heard, I, i heard like i i i heard another commentary on this uh, very interesting word uh, and ultimately you can add to this i'm sure but apparently uh, sleep is uh, a connotation for tamas for tamas right and so i think the connotation is that conqueror of sleep is conqueror of the tamas uh, and he is therefore uh, moving towards sattva which is the which is i think the analogy that i think he's trying to draw using the word sleep uh, alpna i know you probably have some other yeah so that's one definitely that uh, he was the conqueror of sleep um, so moving from tamas to uh, sattva and then the other one is uh, that he could even fight in darkness so that's another one which is used uh, why he was known as gudakesh uh, he could he could fight uh, day night and he didn't need to really sleep um actually the word used after that parantap is a great one too uh which is more of uh, uh, par is dusron ko tapane wala so like he could he could uh, you know uh, win over his enemies by you know tapane wala is meaning they will struggle not his side so they will yeah, struggle yeah. in fact that reminds me of another one that when he starts so when he is uh, you know when uh krishna rebukes him gives harsh words he still tries one more time to justify and there he uses the word madhusudan for krishna that you slayed the demon madhu because madhu was a demon and hence you slayed but you are asking me to you know kill my own you know guru and my grandfather it's not fair <laughs> that you know so that's why he uses the word madhusudan in in that particular shloka So, yeah these use of uh, these names is very very and interestingly before that uh, krishna uses uh, the word a word parth parth is son of pritha kunti was known as pritha and apparently when he was actually going for the war when the last time he met kunti he is uh, krishna krishna meets kunti and says what should i tell your sons you know on the war field Uh, and she said that tell them this is the time they were born for they are the warriors that the time has come to show so you know so she was the one who was he uses the word uh, warrior queen or something um, so to remind arjun that your mother is such a big warrior and what are you doing you know being a faint hearted um, and uh, and a weak person here he uses the word napunsak which is neutered um you know so, so he really uses very harsh words and addresses him as parth 
even for parth there are other interpretation that it is prithvi so why are you having prithvi is more tamasic so why are you so much in the gross get subtler you know subtle always wins over the gross so all these names have actually you know a whole book can be written just on names of uh, uh, arjun and krishna so arjun uses parth 38 times kanteya 24 times <laughs> so in yeah. in Yeah, even uh, even uh, Krishna uses the word glabium, uh, which is glabium, uh, yeah, to, to which is basically a, a kind of a, a eunuch, yeah, to basically describe Arjuna's state of mind. So he uses pretty strong words, and uh, yeah, that helps. And then he throws his Gandiva down, and then he says, "Okay, God, help me out now." And I get, yeah, and that's when the whole the session starts by Sri. Bhagwan Krishna, which is what is going to, which is what we are going to start covering from from the next GD onwards. Well, in time seven twenty nine today, and I guess was before we start on the second chapter. So Swami Nikhila Nandji says very well. He says first in remaining second chapter, Krishna will tell what he will tell. Then from chapter third to seventeen, he will actually tell, and then in eighteenth chapter, he'll tell what he told. So that's <laughs> very good. Yeah. That's that's a good that's a good good way of remembering the summary of uh, how the structure and summary of the entire Gita. Okay, so uh, so for the next GD, you know, I was thinking maybe I just uh, research is research just a little bit more, but I thought that maybe we will try eleven, twelve, and thirteen, two dot eleven, twelve, and thirteen, three uh, shlokas. It is uh, going to get a little uh, complex, so we are going to uh, you know now we've got the overall picture, but now I guess that we got to go a little slow. Uh, so we will uh, do 11 12 13 and if you are not able to cover everything and if you don't just do just discuss only one one shloka also that's perfectly fine there's no hurry at all we got our entire lives ahead so uh, no issues with this so <laughs> i guess that you know we'll probably uh, say uh, shanti repeat shanti thrice and uh, rajesh what chapter in this book we are uh, supposed to read the page chapter 2 uh, two shloka 11 12 and 13 okay No, in in the book you're talking about Swami Chinmayananda's book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, actually, I'm referring to the shloka. So I, I because most of us are using uh, you know the Kindle version. Some other, mm-hmm. some of us are using the real book version. So okay. refer to the shloka version so that we can go back to the chapter of the book. It's, it's page seventy-two okay. to seventy-eight. Say that again. Seventy-two to seventy-eight. Okay, got it. Okay. All right. Oh. शांति